Well, thank you so much for joining us here this morning. I know that we have many people who are joining us online. Good morning to you. Uh, We've got some people here this morning in the room. Good morning to all of you as well. If it's your very first time here, my name's Dave. I'm the lead pastor here at Connect. And uh, if it is your first time here, you may be surprised to learn this, but I'm not from America originally. I'm actually uh, from somewhere a little bit east of here called London, England, and I moved to America in uh, the mid-90s for what was meant to be just a a short spell of time to get a uh, a missions program established, but then I met a young lady from Washington called Casey, and the rest is history. But the reason I came was to start this program called ACE Teams, and ACE Teams was a 10-month program for young adults, and it gave them some experience in church work and ministry. Uh, We did a lot of training up front, and then at the end of the training, they would go off in teams, and they would work for a month at a time in different churches around the country and just get some real hands-on experience. And every year in September, the next group of students would come in. We would kind of run school year, September through May. And uh, every year in September, we'd get 15, 20, 30 of these students would arrive, most of whom didn't know each other. And they were about to spend the next 10 months of their lives working together on these teams. So we came up with this idea that every year, the very first thing we do, day one, before they did any training, any learning, any experience, day one, we went to a campground that's not too far from here uh, that had a ropes course. So if you've ever been to one of these places, they have all sorts of elements, and we would spend the morning doing all these kind of trust exercises and team building exercises. Then we'd have lunch, and then the afternoon, we'd do the high ropes, where you're going down zip lines or going from one treetop to another. And by the end of the day, people's fears had been conquered. They'd stepped out and done some things they'd never done before. You got to see these people, uh, these young adults, kind of gelling together as they learned to, to trust one another and work together as a team. But inevitably, every year at some point during the experience, we would do the trust fall. Have you ever done the trust fall? It's awful. It's a horrible thing. It's that thing where you have to close your eyes or you're blindfolded and you're just going to fall backwards and theoretically, someone will catch you. That's where the the trust comes in. Uh, At this particular ropes course, they would have you stand up on a platform. So you were like three or four feet off the ground and you had to fall back into the arms of your teammates. So talk about a great thing to do on day one. Am I ready to trust these people for the next 10 months? Because if they don't catch me, that's it. I'm never trusting them again. Um, we're going to be talking about trust uh, over the next few weeks, but uh, if just the mention of the word trustful made you shiver, it may be because of the, uh, the development of YouTube and some uh, things we get to see now with regards to trustfuls. Check out this. Jalen Warren's going to catch you. Okay, it's called the trustful. Okay, trustful. Ready, set, go. And trust me, uh, there were many more videos I could have shown you. I spent way too long this week spending hours watching videos like that all across YouTube. But those two kind of captured the dangers of falling the wrong way either way. Uh, And yet despite that, I would still be an advocate. I would still recommend that trusting is important, especially when it comes to our relationship with God. 
as I said in the prayer, maybe you're here this morning and you're visiting, you're checking things out, you could be watching online, a friend's told you about Connect Church. It could be that you came on Easter Sunday and you decided to come back again this week. My hope and prayer is that at some point, you will take that, that step of faith, you'll put your trust in Jesus. You'll say, Jesus, I want to commit my life to you. I want to follow you in all of my ways. And then there are some of you here this morning, you've done that. You've said, no, I, I, I am a follower of Jesus. I've taken that step. But isn't it true that, that that's never just one step? The, the further we go on in our relationship with Jesus, the more trust uh, we have to put in him. There are more areas of our life that we have to trust him with. Uh, there was a guy lived thousands of years ago by the name of Solomon, said to be one of the wisest people who'd ever lived. And he wrote a collection of Proverbs that we can read in the Old Testament. And a very famous one he wrote in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6 goes like this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Now, I love that verse. I love that principle that Solomon is, is laying out there for us. He's saying, hey, if you'll choose to trust God with all of your heart, and it's, it's difficult, it's kind of like a trust fall to give him everything, but if you'll do that, he will make your path straight. He will take care of you. He will show you the way to go. That's how much he loves you and me. He's got such a great plan for our lives in every area of our life, but it all hinges on how much we're willing to trust him with it. So it can be in many different areas of our life. It could be our relationships. It could be our career, where we live, how we live. All these elements are, are parts of our life that as we go on longer as followers of Jesus, we get to trust him more with. But there's one area that I think we probably, if we're honest with ourselves this morning, have the hardest time fully trusting God in, fully giving him all of our trust, and ironically, it's the one area that literally reminds us every time we look at it that it's in God we trust. It's in God we should trust. And that's our finances, our money, our resources. If you were to pull a coin or a note out of your pocket right now, right there on that coin or that note would be written the phrase, in God we trust. Now, a little history lesson for you here. I found out this week as I was studying for this message that it was in 1864 that that phrase first appeared on our coins. And the reason was it was in the middle of the Civil War. America was at a dark time. Families were sending sons off to fight. And they, it just was such a dark time that, that there was this kind of uprising saying, listen, we need to bring God into this. We need to remember that America um, has these Christian principles and they kind of petitioned the government and, and they decided the response was, we're going to put on our coins in God we trust. Then in 1956... 1956, the same phrase was added to our notes. And the reason it was added to our notes is because we were in the middle of the Cold War. That was the point where if you were alive back then in 1956, or you may remember from watching movies or reading history, that America was at this very scary place because communism was on the rise around the world. And America was afraid that it was going to come in and influence who we were, that Russia, that, that the communist ideals would come in and take over America. So because communism had no belief in a state religion or in any kind of uh, organized religion, America decided we're going to make sure 
that this communistic idea never creeps in. We're going to put on our currency in God we trust. So that's how we've got these phrases on our currency. And yet, despite that, as followers of Jesus, it becomes one of those areas that we struggle to trust God with the most. And here's how I know this. Because I found out that in 2018, Northwestern Mutual released a study they did that cited that the number one cause for stress for Americans in that time, more than relationships or work, was money. It was the number one stress across America. Now, that was 2018. We've had a lot happen since then. So there's a lot of other things that stress us out now, a lot of other things that have added to the stress menu there. But I would guess that two, three years later, if it's not the highest, it's still up there. And do you know what I found was interesting? When I found this article that talked about money being the number one stress amongst Americans, there wasn't an asterisk next to it. And then when you scroll down to the bottom next to the asterisk, it actually said, you know, now obviously we're talking about um, Americans who aren't followers of Jesus. Because followers of Jesus, they're fine. They trust God completely. So they don't stress about this at all. But just amongst Americans who aren't followers of Jesus, number one stress. No, it didn't say that. It seems to be that it was across the board, outside the church and inside the church. I think if we're honest with ourselves this morning, we can be guilty, can't we, of putting too much trust in our money. So when it goes up, when it goes down, when the unexpected bills come in, when, when life creeps in, it can affect us because we're choosing to trust this and not trust God. I recognize it happening in my own life because the opposite of trust is worry is fear. And I find myself sometimes looking with fear when when something happens or wondering if this will be enough or wondering if I'll be able to, to meet this need. So in this series, In God We Trust, I want to try and help us over the next three or four weeks to understand what it looks like to, to fully trust God in every area of our life. To find that freedom of what it looks like to, to just be free because we put so much trust in God and who He is to trust him with all of our hearts and lean not on our own understanding. So I think the reason it's hard for some of us in this is because we've, we've believed some lies. We thought they were truths, but they were actually lies. And I want to identify three of those live, lies this morning. And then I want to kind of flip the script a little bit and then, then bring some truths here. And maybe as we leave today, it'll just kind of recalibrate our minds a little bit when it comes to our resources and our finances and our possessions. Lie number one, in my opinion, is that money and material things will satisfy me. Money and material things will satisfy me. Now, I don't know that many of us come out and say this out loud, but, but sometimes we get caught up in living this way, don't we? We see some of those things and some of those things we don't have right now, but that we'd like, and we think, well, if I had that, I'm sure I'd be a little bit more happier. I mean, I know my current phone takes some really good pictures, but I've heard about this new phone, and I've heard about the camera on it, and that's why I'm not totally satisfied, because my pictures right now aren't as good as they could be. Or I've seen what my friends just bought this outfit or these new clothes for the spring, and you know, that's what I need is a little bit more in my wardrobe, because then I'll be really much more satisfied if I had more options of things to wear. Did you see what the neighbors did? They just put that big patio out back. 
That's why we're not happy with this house we're living in. It's because we haven't got a patio like this. If we could just get a patio and then some landscaping and then all these things. And if we're not careful, our motivation is that we think that that's what will satisfy. Now, there's nothing wrong with any of those things. Don't get me wrong. But the danger is in thinking that the pursuit of those things will fill that gap, will bring us that satisfaction that we're seeking. That same wise man I spoke about earlier, Solomon, listen to what he wrote in another book he wrote in the Old Testament called Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes 5.10. Those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. Those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. Now, it could be easy to read that and think, you know what? That's because he's got no money. I would say that if I didn't have any money. He doesn't have a clue. Trust me, money would bring me happiness, I know. Because if I had more of it, I'd be a lot happier. Solomon was like the Elon Musk or the Jeff Bezos of his time. I mean, he was like the richest man in the world. So wealthy. We're climbing the ladder in our lives, trying to get higher. Solomon was literally at the top of the ladder. He'd reached the top. And from that perspective, looking on, he realized that those who love money will never have enough. And it's meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. The second lie I think that sometimes we we get caught up in is, it's my money, so I can do whatever I want with it. It's my money. So I can do whatever I want with it. Now you might think, well, it is my money. Well, let me explain here a little bit. But I think this conversation has been had maybe in some households recently because I know there are a lot of families around America right now that have received stimulus checks. And uh, some of those families have kids who are old enough to understand how the stimulus checks are working and that mum and dad were getting some extra money because of me. Like I qualified them to get some. So now there's some conversations. Hey, mum, dad, when am I going to get that money from that, that check? And your mom and dad are like, well, actually, uh, you live with me. So this is kind of, you know, there's this tension of like, no, it's my money. <laughs> no, it's my money. <laughs> and I think sometimes we can get a little bit like that with God. We can say, well, God, I worked hard for this. If you're a follower of Jesus here this morning, it's like, well, God, you know, I appreciate it, but I'm the one that put in the time and I'm the one that put in the hours. But the problem with that is as followers of Jesus, we we get exposed to verses like this in Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. So if we're truly trusting God with everything in our lives, we are a people who say, God, I trust that the earth is yours, that, that everything in it, everything I have, it doesn't actually belong to me, it belongs to you. And it's not that that means we have to just give it all away or give it all back to him, but our attitude towards it has to change a little bit. We have to think of ourselves less as owners and more as stewards. Stewards are people who who look after something on behalf of somebody else. So it would be a little bit like... um, If you had a friend or a family member who needed to borrow a car for a day or two and you were like, hey, I'm not using my car for the next couple of days. Please take my car and use it. You would hope that as they're driving it, they're driving as a steward and not an owner. That they're out there thinking, this isn't my car, so I'm going to drive it a little bit more carefully. If you see me driving, you wouldn't be loaning me your car. You'd be like, yeah, if he's treating it the way he drives, that's something my wife would tell you. She'd be like, you're not driving my car. I've seen the way you drive your car. 
It's just a mentality change in being a, a steward instead of an owner. This actually plays out in so many areas of our life as followers of Jesus. You know, this is pretty amazing. A few weeks ago, we had a, an amazing service here, probably one of my favorite services uh, this year. Easter was awesome, but prior to that, it was a baby dedication service. And up here on the stage, we have some fantastic families celebrating these brand new lives. But there was a sense of stewardship in that service. Because these mums and dads were holding these children saying, God, you've, you've blessed me with this incredible life. You've blessed me with this wonderful responsibility. And, and for the next 18 years, in some cases 25, 26 years, but, but for some time here now, this child will be a part of my life. But at some point, they, he or she will move out and begin a life of their own. So in a sense, I'm not the owner, Lord. I'm the steward. You've given me this child. So when they were stood here asking for prayer, it was saying, God, help us to be good parents. Help us to partner with the church as together we, we realize the responsibility that we have of being able to play a role in their children's lives. And I think God wants us to have that attitude with everything, with our possessions, with our finances. God, you've blessed me with this. Help me to have wisdom. Help me to trust you completely with this area of my life. Line number three, in my opinion, I probably should have started out with this one. All the church talks about is money. <laughs> I get it. Believe me, when I sat down months ago to plan out what I was going to speak on uh, in 2021, nothing in me was like, you know what I want to speak on? <laughs> money. Because... We've all seen churches and ministers misuse this. It could be something that can be easily um, taken advantage of and manipulated. And I definitely don't want to be that. But here's the thing. The reality is the Bible talks a lot about this subject. So I would be amiss if I didn't talk about something that Jesus spoke about an awful lot. Did you know that 16, so there were 38 parables that Jesus taught, 16 of them one six talked about money. There is more in the New Testament about money than heaven and hell combined. The Bible talks four times more about money and possessions than it does prayer. 2,000 times as opposed to 500 on prayer. We I'm talking about money today. We're talking about trusting God with our lives and with our resources and with our finances because Jesus talked about it. And I think we're falling for a lie if we think as followers of Jesus this isn't important because as I said earlier, if it's the number one stress for Americans right now, then it's probably something we should trust God with more in our lives. So, let's look at some truths. We've talked about some lies that sometimes we fall uh, prey to, but let's look at the truth the, the converse version of that. Truth number one, God is the source of satisfaction. I believe that God is the source of satisfaction. Here's why I believe that, because I know in my own life, money has come and gone. There have been times where we've been very comfortable and then there's been times where things have cropped up and unexpected situations have happened and it's been kind of scary times and we've watched things fluctuate. But you know what I've never seen fluctuate? And that's God in my life. 
the presence of God. In all the time I've been a follower of Jesus, he's always remained the same. In the New Testament, James says in James 1.17, he talks about God as being somebody who does not change like shifting shadows. God who does not change like shifting shadows. Our bank account might not be where we want, but his presence will always be satisfying. Maybe we can't take that vacation that we were hoping to, but he will invite us to rest in his presence. We might struggle to keep up with the Joneses, but he fully accepts us for who we are. My goal here is not to make anyone feel guilty for what they have, feel stressed about what they don't have. It's just to kind of realign our thinking so that we don't trust what we have, but we trust him who gave it to us. Because I think just that subtle change can change the way we live our lives. Because he did give it to us. Truth number two, everything good comes from God. Everything good comes from God. James, who we just heard from, has another verse in James 1.17. He says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. James understood. He's telling us here that everything, every good and perfect gift, it comes from God. It is God who's blessed us with these things in our lives. And I think the key is for us just to live our lives remembering that because we can too easily forget that and get caught up in what I did. I was thinking about that this week and it took me back a long time now to the early 80s. I was 14 years old, living in England. And um, my dad, he has a company that he runs and his company actually manufactures shoes uh, for people who need special types of shoes. So maybe one leg's longer than the other or uh, something's um, wrong with their foot, there's a deformity and the shoe has to be custom made to fit their foot. So someone in England will go to the doctors or the hospital and they'll say, yeah, you need the special kind of shoes. They'll put them in touch with my dad. They measure the person's feet and they're able to make these shoes especially for that person. So he'd been doing this business for years and just made some really nice quality leather shoes. And then in the early 80s, I'm kind of in my teenage years now, uh, mid-80s maybe, um, he does a deal with a tennis shoe company. And he comes home and tells me about this. And he says, and because we're now going to make tennis shoes as well, I can now get regular tennis shoes at a very discounted rate. I'm like, wait, so you could get me like a pair of really cool sneakers? He's like, yeah. So I'm like, well, if you can get a discount, I'm going for the best. I'm going to look. And at that time, 1984, it was the Adidas ZX500. <laughs> there they are. Yes. Those picture of beauty right there. Now, I know that some of you are already like, Dave, I don't even understand what you just said. Okay, that's because in England, they were Adidas, not Adidas, Adidas whatever. <laughs> And they were ZX500s, not ZXs, okay? They were ZX500s. And my dad got me a pair of these. And I can remember the first time I wore them to school, and I'm walking down the hall, and I don't know if everyone else could hear it, but I could hear the music for Saturday Night Fever just playing as I was kind of <laughs> walking down the hall. And every now and again, I would catch someone checking them out, and they'd say something. And do you know what I didn't say in response? 
oh yeah, it's because my dad gets them cheap, so he's able to get a special deal, and that's how I, absolutely not, these are my shoes, and I'm taking all the credit for how cool these ZX500s look on my feet. Put up the next picture. There's a picture of them actually being advertised in a magazine. I found this. Brilliant. Tottenham Court Road, London. That's the ZX500. <laughs> it says, if you're serious about running, that's not why I bought them. So <laughs> I just wanted them to look cool. Um, but we do that, don't we, with, with every part of our life. We worked hard for this. This is mine. And we kind of carry ourselves a little bit like, look at what I did. But the reality is, and especially this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus, every good thing from above comes from God. He blessed us with it. That doesn't mean we have to just give it all back to him, but it does mean that we have to live our lives acknowledging that, saying, God, thank you so much for how you've blessed me. Lord, I recognize that I am where I am because of you. I recognize that this is because of you. My, my tennis shoes that I had were because of my connection to this deal my dad got. And I should never forget that. Truth number three, giving back to God is the way to freedom. Now I know you're probably thinking, hang on Dave, I think that's a, that was one of the lies maybe, but uh, I believe this to be true because I've seen this in my life. And when you fully understand truth number two, it becomes easier to live a life of generosity because you're willing to give back to God when the opportunity arises because you recognize that it wasn't mine in the first place. He's, he's blessed me with this, so it's very easy for me to be able to give back when I have the chance. So for me personally, I've just managed, I've just tried really hard to, to live a life of generosity, holding as loosely as possible to the things I have. And that gets a lot easier to do when you understand truth number two. And when you fully grasp truth number two, that it's his anyway, in the times when, when things are going well, you can say, God, thank you so much for how you've blessed me. Show me ways I can bless others. And then the times when you're struggling, when needs come up, it's a lot easier to go back to God and say, hey, God, I also need your help in this, Lord. Please help me in this area of my life. Because we've already established that it's because of him that we have what we have. Um, years ago, there was a band, they were a Christian band. The name of the band was Sixpence None the Richer. Some of you guys may have heard of that band. And they actually got their name, the name of the band came from a, a passage in a book written by the author C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis wrote a book many years ago called Mere Christianity. And he, he gave this illustration about what it's like for us to give to God. And he used the illustration of a, a sixpence. Sixpence was a form of currency back in the 50s and 60s in England. And I'll read from the book what he says. Every faculty you have, your power of thinking or of moving your limbs from moment to moment, is given you by God. If you devoted every moment of your whole life exclusively to his service, you could not give him anything that was not, in a sense, his own already. So that when we talk of a man doing anything for God or giving anything to God, I will tell you what that is really like. It's like a small child going to his father and saying, Daddy, give me six pence to buy you a birthday present. Of course the father does. And he is pleased with the child's present. It is all very nice and proper, but only an idiot would think that the father is six pence to the good on the transaction. When a man has made these two discoveries, God can really get to work. It's after that that real life begins because the man is now fully awake. 
So basically he's saying in this story, you know, if a, if a child comes to a father and says, hey, dad, could I have six pence because I want to buy you a present? And that child buys the gift and then gives the gift to the father. The father is six pence, none the richer. He's not richer by six pence. But he's still richer, as is the child, in the experience that just took place. This wasn't in my notes, but I remembered it during first service. I shared the story. Um, my daughter, when she was in um, primary school, Central Primary School, they had a thing every Christmas where there was a Christmas store. And you basically sent your child to school with money. I can remember her for days up to, Dad, don't forget, I'm going to need money. I'm going to need money. I'll need. So off she goes with $5. And then she gets to shop in the store, spend that money, and bring home the most elaborate of Christmas gifts. I mean, it, it was like being at Chuck E. Cheese. I mean, this was the level of gifts available. So um, under the tree, there's this beautifully wrapped little present that she's bought for me. And when I opened it, it actually is a pretty incredible present. It's a trophy that says world's greatest dad. So it's official. I am now the world's greatest dad. There's a very small, cheap plastic trophy that confirms it. And I loved opening it. And she loved giving it to me. But I paid for it. <laughs> I was sixpence, none the richer. And that's the, that's the illustration C.S. Lewis is using there, that, that when we truly understand how blessed we are, when we truly understand what God has given us, we are free to be generous. We are free to give because we understand that it wasn't ours in the first place. He gave it to us. And in giving back to him, we're only giving back what was already his. But we get to experience what Emma experienced as I opened that gift. I get to experience the joy of watching her give to me. That's why so many folks here at Connect have chosen to be generous and give in the ways that they've given. And here's the great thing about the truth in this message. I believe this to be true. And I would teach this on a regular basis if it helps free some people from stress in this area of their life. But two years and 11 months ago, I saw this play out in an incredibly miraculous way. Because two years and 11 months ago, we were meeting in Washington Middle School, and we had a dream of one day being in a church home of our own, and this building became available. But it was going to be incredibly expensive to buy and renovate. As a church, we were only six years old, and we didn't know how we could do it. So we had a series that we called Together for Washington. Now, I've probably told this story that I'm about to tell you 10 times. Some of you are like, Dave, we know. But I love telling the story. And maybe someone here this morning will hear it for the very first time. But during this series, we shared with people the vision we had to be in a, a church home of our own, to put roots down in the community, to have a building that would be Connect Church. We said, we've got this opportunity, but we can't do it without your help. So we went to the congregation at the time. We went to the members of the time, and we brought this challenge. We said, we, we believe that if we could raise $700,000 over the next three years, we could move into this building. In order to do that, we would need um, probably about 115 individuals or couples or families to say, yeah, we want to be a part of this campaign and help give this over the next three years. I'm going to be honest. As... As the pastor, this was a stretch of my faith. I trust God, but this was a really hard one to trust him in. I mean, I was like, this was a hard trustful to go for. So I was absolutely astounded when we had the Sunday at the end of the series and 
counted up the uh, pledge cards and we found out that instead of 115, 157 individuals, couples and families pledged to give not just 700,000 but a million dollars over three years. And we've seen over those three years that money continue to come in. And now one month from now, we'll come to the end of that series, that campaign. It's cool because as of a few weeks ago, we did another kind of tally and we found out that even though it was 157 who said, we want to be a part of this, as of three weeks ago, that number had grown to 197 because new people have joined the church over the last three years. So now 197 individuals, couples, families have said, we want to play a part, whether it's a dollar, $5, $10,000, whatever it is, we want to be a part of that story together for Washington, helping connect into their church building. So knowing we had 197, about a month ago, I came up here and I kind of issued a bit of a challenge and said, wouldn't it be great if we could finish out at 220? I know there are new people to connect who weren't around when we first introduced this. Wouldn't it be great if we could get that number to 220? 220 individuals, couples, families could say, we were a part of that story. We were a part of that journey. We were a part of helping connect, find their permanent location. And since then, that number's grown to 208. So just since then, 11 more people have said, we're in. We want to be a part of that. We're going to tell some stories over the next couple of weeks of lives that have been changed since we've been in this building. But none of this could have happened without God. He gets all of the praise and all the credit. But he was able to do this because there was a group of people who trusted God, who said, in God, we trust. Who recognized that everything good comes from God. Who decided they wanted to give back to him. It's incredible how much God can do in a community, in a country, in the world with people who will live like that, who will say, God, I want to trust you with this. Not only can we do so much, it frees us from so much stress and worry and anxiety in such a big area of our lives. So I hope over the next couple of weeks as we talk about trust in every area of our lives, that at the end we'll be able to look back and say, you know, I feel that this is a step forward I've made in my trust journey. It's, it's never easy taking that trust fall, but I know that I can trust God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for everyone who's here this morning, Lord. Thank you that this is a great concept to talk about, Lord, because I believe your word to be true, and I believe these principles you've put in there about if we will trust you in this area of our lives. But I can also look back and see how people put this into practice, that we wouldn't be here today impacting this community, reaching people through this building, Lord, if it weren't for great people who also believed this almost three years ago and said, we want to help make that happen. So thank you, Lord, for the evidence of what it looks like to put our trust in you. And I pray that over these coming weeks, we'll learn to, to take a step forward in that area of our life, trusting you completely with every, every area of our life. We ask you to help us in that in Jesus' name. Amen.